0: Luke today and this morning our prayers will be informed by part of uh, today's reading just a small section so I'm going to read Luke 12 starting at verse 48 at the end of the chapter and then the next bit we'll read as our main reading so Luke 12 starting at verse 48 and then I'll pray starting at 49 we'll start at 49 I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it would already be kindled. I have a baptism to be baptised with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, A shower's coming, and so it happens. And When you see the south wind blowing, you say, There'll be scorching heat, and it happens you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what's right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, You'll never get out until you've paid the very last penny. We now come to our main Bible reading. We'll start from 13 verse 1 and read to 14 verse 24. And it says this. There was some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans, because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No. No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you all will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. He said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I've come, been, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig round it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. He laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger? and lead it away to water it. And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, that a man took And sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour, until it was all leavened. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord Will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. All that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons, and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? They could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honour, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honour, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So when your host comes, he said to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbours, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, you will be blessed because they can't repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, the once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to examine them. Please excuse me. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded has been done, and still there is room. The master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. Well, we're going to have a look at that passage in a minute. But before we do, just a few things to mention. The first is questions. That will be coming at the end, so do be aware that they're there. The uh, The sermon outlines in your service sheets which you can use or not and most importantly let's pray and ask God to help us let's pray dear heavenly father we thank you for the revelation of your word the words that you've spoken through your son to us that we can now understand by your spirit and we thank you lord that there are great men who've come before us to interpret these words so that now our job really does become easy It's just a matter of sitting, reading your word, and exploring it in the wealth of knowledge of those who've come before us. So we pray, Lord, that we would take full advantage of that this morning, as we encourage one another in the words of this truth. Amen. Jesus has come to bring peace on earth, or has he? Well, it was Luke who recorded what the angels said at Jesus' birth: "Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom He's pleased." That's in chapter two, verse 14. But within the same chapter we have Simeon's words, the words he speaks to Mary, where he says, "Behold, this child is appointed." For the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What are we to make of this? At the start of today's passage, Jesus tells us the reason he has come. We see it there in verse 52. 51. Do you think that I've come To give peace on earth. No, I tell you, but rather, division. At first glance, it seems the angels have got it wrong. And Jesus seems to be fulfilling the prophecy spoken by Simeon. Now, of course, the angels cannot have it wrong. Which means this is what we need to explain how Jesus can bring peace while at the same time not bringing peace, but bringing division. This is a logical nightmare. I wonder if today's passage may shed some light on this apparent problem. Well, since Luke 9, verse 51 Jesus has been travelling to Jerusalem. And that Jesus has set his face to Jerusalem means that the kingdom of God is near. As Jesus heads to Jerusalem, he continues to go to great lengths to persuade the crowd that the kingdom of God is near and they must repent. And all this continues on in today's passage. Jesus criticizes the crowd because they can interpret the signs for the weather but cannot interpret what's happening now. The signs of that time can be encapsulated in what we read back in Luke 7 verse 22. We read there, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have the good news preached to them. And the interpretation is simple. When these things happen, the Messiah is here. God's anointed king has arrived. And when the Messiah arrives, then it's time to ensure your debts are paid. It's almost as if your accuser is taking you to the judge. The best thing to do is to settle any debts you have on your way to see the judge. So that you never make it to the judge. Because once you've met the judge, by that time it's too late. Then you're in prison. And what hope have you of raising any money to pay off your debts while you're rotting in a cell? When the blind receive their sight, it's time to repent because the kingdom of God is near. And chapter 13 begins with this stark warning to repent. Throughout Jesus' ministry, we've seen the tax collectors and sinners have been willing to repent. And as a result, they've been included in the kingdom of God. However, we've also seen the Pharisees, this Constant refusal to repent. And it's here that Jesus reminds the crowd, if you die before you've repented, then you'll perish. The kingdom of God is near. Now is the time to repent. If you leave it for later, who knows what disaster may overtake you, repent. Repent. Or you'll perish. Then in 13, verse 14, we have the synagogue ruler. The ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus is healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. This synagogue ruler kind of exemplifies all that we've considered so far. He fails to interpret the times. He sees the Messiah free a woman from the clutches of Satan. He doesn't understand that that means the kingdom of God is near. Instead, he wants to quibble over the day that God's Messiah has chosen to reveal that the kingdom of God is near. He insists that the Sabbath day is not a day for healing, Jesus' rebuke, in response to this, highlights that they allow labour that's necessary to show kindness to an animal. So they'll happily take an ox to drink. But they refuse to allow kindness to be shown to a human, to one who bears God's image. So what we see here is that the synagogue ruler has a skewed view of the creation order. At creation, God is at the top of the creation order and he creates humanity in his image and they are to rule over the animals and creation but they're to do that under God's rule. Which means it's an odd thing to do to make an allowance for the kindness of an animal that which is at the bottom of the creation order, when that same kindness is kept back from the humans who are higher up on the creation order. Not only that, but what better day is there to demonstrate God's power to heal and to free a woman bound by Satan than to do so on God's Sabbath? The account finishes... And despite the shame that Jesus' adversaries experience, there's no sign of repentance. Then we come to this question of how to enter through the narrow door. Someone in the crowd asks Jesus the question, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And Jesus responds by explaining how many who try to enter the narrow door will be refused, and once the door's been closed, the chance to enter will be gone. The response that's made to being closed out is what the members of the crowd might well say. These are those who've seen Jesus, they've eaten with him, they've listened to him teach. And now they're surprised that they've been kept out. But what has kept them from entering the kingdom of God is their lack of repentance. It isn't enough to see Jesus, to eat with him, or hear his words. To truly have understood what Jesus has said demands repentance. To enter through the narrow door assumes you've actually heard and acted upon what Jesus has said. And to do that, you need to repent. A similar analysis can be made of the parable of the great banquet. Those that were initially invited to the banquet did not come because they refused to repent. But when the message is taken further afield, well then, People will come from the east, the west, the north, and the south. They'll enter the kingdom of God. The reason they'll enter is because they repent. And in 13 verse 31, we read, At the very hour some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. they seem to be warning Jesus that Herod wants to kill him. The motivation behind their warning could be genuine, though at the same time it could be an easy way to get Jesus out of their area. But Jesus isn't scared, he doesn't fear this threat, because he knows that Herod will not kill him now. Jesus has a particular type of work to do, a work that he still needs to do, And his work of casting out demons and healing won't be complete until he arrives at Jerusalem. And Jesus won't die now. He knows that he won't die until he gets to Jerusalem. He says as much in verse 33. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. And so Jesus continues to set his face to Jerusalem. He's determined to do his father's will. Back in verse 29 of chapter 12. 49 of chapter 12. It says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. This fire that Jesus will bring is later described in the same section as a division within families. Families will be divided because some members of the family will respond to Jesus' message with repentance, while others in the same family will respond to Jesus' message with rejection. And this is why Jesus says he doesn't come to bring peace on earth, but division. Those who align with God will be divided from people. Sometimes those closest to them. We can see how Simeon's prophecy we read at the start fits with this. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that's opposed. Jesus causes some to fall. And others to rise in Israel. Some repent. Others don't. What then. Of the angels message. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace. Among those. With whom he's pleased. Peace on earth certainly is offered but there is a qualification it's a peace for those with whom he's pleased those whom he's pleased with are those who repent they'll have peace peace with god Because Jesus has come to bring peace to all those who God favours. And this is a peace that will bring division. Some will repent and accept Jesus, while others will reject Jesus. But all who will repent will have peace with God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time of grace and patience. We know the kingdom of God is here. And we look forward to and anticipate the full consummation of your kingdom. But we also pray for those who are yet to repent. We ask for your grace, for your mercy. On those who are yet to hear and trust in your gospel. But we thank you for that great promise that you the message you sent with your angels, that all of those who are your elect will have the peace that your Son brings. We pray, Lord, that you'd continue to help us as we continue on that ministry of providing peace on those with whom your Favor rests. Amen. Well, it is question time. Any questions, thoughts, comments, or is it completely self explanatory? We could just move on to the next one. Excellent question. Okay, let me just reiterate it for the recording. So in verse 12 of chapter 14, it says, He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbours, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a face to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. And so the question is, should we take that as a... um, a literal application. So this afternoon, should we stop inviting our friends over and should we instead go and find someone who's crippled, invite them instead? Not that you're allowed to say that anymore anyway, so you'd probably struggle to find someone who fits that bill. Um, or is there some other way of understanding it? Yes, so I think... Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because obviously when Jesus said that, first of all, I guess, when he said that, he's talking to a very different situation to what we're in. I think that's... I guess, first of all, the situation he's in is he's walking towards Jerusalem. The kingdom of God is near. Um, And presumably part of this banquet is to talk about the urgency of what is happening, and but then maybe I'm going too far already. You know, ultimately he's beginning to tell this story as a bit of a parable in, it, in it itself. So even then, I'm not sure whether there's a practical application of literally do that necessarily. I'm not sure. I think it's quite tricky. Moving to the contemporary thing, one of the things I think is quite interesting, and this partly comes to the whole we're in a slightly different situation. One of the reasons why this would be a good suggestion back in Jesus's days, because these are the people who are completely deprived, and there's no allowance for them. You know, they're literally going to have to be begging, and they're dependent upon um, the begging. If they, you know, they might be outside the temple, and so you give your alms to them. So they've got something. We live in a society that's been very influenced by um, the Christian, Christianity. And there is some allowance mm-hmm. and benefits. And of course, that's that could, has potential to create a, a massive discussion as whether the benefits are good enough or appropriate enough or and there's enough. And So there is some allowance made that makes things a little bit different. But the other thing as well, I think, at the crux of all this, is that it all revolves around repentance. So there's a sense in the... I think when you think more broadly in terms of the letter of Luke, sometimes people say, the Luke, Luke is written for the poor and needy. And that's because it talks about the poor and needy a lot. And you get this impression that it seems that Jesus has come to call the poor and needy because it's always the poor and needy who come to Jesus. But that's not quite true. The tax collectors come to meet Jesus and they're not poor and needy. They're very much not poor and needy. Um, So I think that's a slight skewed understanding of Luke. Rather the understanding of Luke is that Jesus has called anyone and everyone to repent. The Pharisees, the rulers, the rich tax collectors, the rich uh, and the poor and the uh, lame, and that. Peculiarly, the Pharisees on the whole are interested, but it's the lame and the blind, the sinners, and the tax collectors that do respond. But I think in our contemporary situation, when you present the gospel to the rich, or the needy, what you find is you get the same response. Some of the neediest people in the world can be the proudest people in the world, and if you try and help them, they can throw back in your face. Um, so, in the past, when I've been to churches where they've had like open doors to, you know, people who are in dire straits. Obviously, you help them pragmatically and practically. But when you present them with the gospel and seek repentance from them, they can be as proud and uninterested as anybody else in the room. Um, so I've said lots of things. I'm try and draw it to a close. <laughs> so... Yeah, I think ultimately, I think Jesus is kind of making a point that isn't. And the point is, change the way you view the world, you know, change the way you think about honour and all this sort of stuff and that. I don't think. Um, and, and that point is made by saying. You know, don't invite people who can repay you, but invite people who can't. But I don't think that means you practically go out and do that because in the end, that's not quite where the passage is taken us. You know, it's, it's that call for repentance that's important. not sure whether the answer is particularly satisfactory. I could probably rethink that a little bit. But... Give you something to think about. Time for another? Yes, Susie. Yes, good question. Um, So 13 verse 35. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you'll not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, So I had a brief look at the commentary at this and he said a lot of people do go for the second coming. So obviously the context here is it's specifically talking about Jerusalem and Jesus wants to gather Jerusalem up but he says that's not going to happen until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the commentator said the slight problem with that if it is the second coming, by the time Jesus is coming in the second coming, He's coming in judgment so it doesn't it's a bit awkward if you know why would they say blessed is he who comes because he's coming to destroy them and they are still opposed to him so he suggested it was more likely that this again it, it could be that sense of i tell you you'll not see me until you change the way you think about me and your response is more in terms of repentance at which point you'll say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord so I think it's a it's a, you you will be forsaken Jerusalem until you recognise your Messiah something like that I think that's more in the right direction for one more, if there is one oh oh Oh, uh go on, let's go, go for it, Nikki. <laughs> go, you probably got the same question anyway. You? Go on, Nikki. We'll we'll see if we can squeeze both in. Yeah, so I guess, um, well, it's interesting because there does feel to be quite a big break between the mustard seed story and the leaven story and then verse 22 in that he went on his way. But obviously Luke's put them next to each other. So I think that's quite helpful in the sense that the mustard seed story is the kingdom of God is tiny. That's its origin But once it starts to grow, it's going to be humongous. Um, And so that question could be seen in that context of, oh, okay, so there's only going to be a few that are saved. To which he says, yeah, if you kind of think about it in terms of it's not many people are repenting. The door is narrow, and actually a lot of people will will think they're in and expect to be in, but they're not. Um, So there's that... small, it starts out small, but then, I mean, here's the interesting thing, verse 29, then the people come from east and west and from north and south, so all of a sudden we've gone global and then people are coming in from all over the place. I think verse 30 is quite interesting because in this context, the some are last who will be first it feels like that's talking about the people who have heard later on, i.e. the Gentiles, are actually going to be first in the kingdom of God, as in they'll arrive before those who heard first but didn't initially come. You know, it could. It's not necessary. I think normally we think in terms of humble and pride, which I think elsewhere it might be, but here it feels like it's more of that. So yeah, I think, I think there is a sense in that there will be few but it will grow to many. Nathan? Yeah, that could be helpful Um, because I guess there's a sense in that actually that could imply then it's not until that event's happened which will be followed obviously by the crucifixion, at which point then there will be, to some extent, a gathering of Israel, even though it's only a Shadatish. Yeah? So it could well be. So he can't gather his people now until um, cross-death, resurrection, ascension. Yeah, works. Okay, let's stop there and we'll sing our next song, which is My Hope is Built on Nothing Less.